0: Hello and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined as always by my co-host, John McGee. John, why don't you let the audience know what we got going on today?
1: Hey, Adam, so we are gonna try a new format today. So we just did an interview with Todd Wagner our senior pastor, and we kind of asked him and interviewed him, just had a kind of a free-range conversation around decision-making, yeah. which is such a critical skill uh, for leaders. So I think the listeners will be really encouraged uh, by that interview. And then what we're going to do in two weeks is you and I are going to chat through kind of a decision-making grid. It's yeah. so really just kind of formalizing what it was that Todd was talking about. We walked in with this grid ahead of time, and it turns out Todd really talked about talked all about of it. He talked about all of it, yeah. Uh, but it's a little <laughs> bit, sometimes it's kind of like you know asking Tom Brady, how do you throw a football? And he just goes like this. Yeah. And uh, and so we're going to try to translate in two weeks uh, some of what you know, we've seen Todd do and other great leaders uh, do as well. I think we'll get to more of the kind of practical uh, tools uh, in two weeks. Yeah,
0: great. So check out this interview, and then we'll be back with some closing thoughts. Todd, thank you so much for coming back. Welcome back to the podcast.
1: I love being on this podcast. So before we jump in, we've got a great topic, but uh, we've been trying to introduce – you know our staff, like kind of something unique about him. As far as we know, you are the only person who has broke a backboard after dunking a basketball. Is this true?
2: <laughs> Shattered a backboard. It is true. Yes, I did. Uh, it was back in the day. I'm sure when the rims weren't. Well, I know that this one wasn't a breakaway rim. You don't shatter backboards with breakaway rims. So I'm dating myself here a little bit. So it would have been uh, mid '80s, and uh, I was just out of college, still, you know, I was having fun, still playing ball, and. Uh, drove the baseline, went up hard, left hand down, and probably didn't get enough vertical, and so I had to push it through the front of the rim, and it just hit it just right, and it shattered. The fun part of that story, I think, is that um, you know it kind of silenced the gym. Obviously, freaked us all out a little bit. But <laughs> We're then, in trouble. Yes, and then uh, and then there was a guy who was there who had an inner city ministry in St. Louis who came up to me right words you make right afterwards, and he said, "Hey." Wagner, he said, "You, you, you got to come speak to my kids." And I said, "Well, because seriously, like, man, listen, if you've if you've served time, been shot, or shot at a backboard, they will listen to you." And, <laughs> and so you two or three uh, I, I, at that point. Yeah, thank you. Has uh, been in prison and shot a backboard now. So I uh, was all of a sudden uh, had some street cred for inner city St. Louis. And so off I went.
1: There you go. As far as I know, only one of those was true. Just for the record. <laughs> yes,
2: so, Adam, you want to frame this up, buddy? Yeah. So what we're
0: going to talk about today is decision making, which is uh, John, as you and I talk about a lot on this podcast. I know we've mentioned it a lot. I mean, leaders exist because problems exist. One of uh, the most consistent or the most um, important jobs that a leader has to make is they've just got to make decisions. And some days you're making a hundred of them. Some days you're making one or two, but you're always making decisions.
1: Yeah. And I was thinking about this. You you always see the effects, um, you know, people, followers always see the effects of decisions, but they don't always get to be in the room when decisions yeah. are made. So it's, it's kind of a skill that's not, you know, easily taught or caught because they're just not around. Preaching is easy. You can observe that, yeah. uh, but decision-making isn't. And so, we, you know, literally we could have had anybody on our staff uh, being here. We, we're hoping Todd could. Todd, you're here. Um, I You know, that's one of the things I was really uh, encouraged by early on in this church was like just the great decisions that were being made. I wasn't like uh, ashamed of being a part of this church and the decisions that were being made like I had been previously in some places. And so uh, let's just kick it off. Like how, how do you even think about uh, decision-making? What goes through your head? What's your process? Um, yeah, you you can take it from here.
2: Well, first of all, you're right. Thank, and guys, thank you. I love, the reason I love being this podcast is hey, I always learn something. Uh, and, and if nothing else, because you guys ask good questions and uh, I'm forced to kind of crystallize some of the ways I talk about, it, but always because, yeah. you know, I, I learned stuff from you and we learn stuff from others we're on the show with. And I love to listen to it. Right. I mean, I, I, I listen to the episodes I'm not on and I'm grateful every time you say, come oh, on gosh. back, let's do another one.
1: We better be careful. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, people make a decision to listen to this podcast and I hope that that bears fruit for them. So. Um, I I, I will just say this, one of the most important things that leaders have to be willing to do is make decisions, not be afraid to fail, right? You guys have heard me say a lot that leadership is a commitment to be misunderstood you have to make decisions sometimes that not everybody has the benefit of knowing all the factors that went into decision. And they may from a distance or their perspective or limited understanding go, I would have never made that decision. And if you as a leader are uncomfortable making decisions that people aren't gonna know all the reasons why you made that decision or even why that decision was as informed with wisdom as you hope it was, then you're never gonna make a decision, okay? And so the first rule of just being, I think, a... a, uh, effective leader is that you got to be willing to make decisions and and not be afraid to have your decisions criticized written about blogged about spoken about left over or you will just be you know not just analysis paralysis you'll be uh, you'll fear the people and you won't do what people need I am never so frustrated as when when I'm in a room and I'm not the person leading. And it's very clear to me, a decision that needs to be made to serve everybody in the room and the person's afraid to do it. And so in the role that I'm in here, I have the unique privilege of, of making decisions that are going to uh, bless people or burden people. And uh, I would just say leaders need to have a bias towards action. Another way to say that is leaders got ha- have to have a bias towards decision-making. And um, And then you ought to live with fear and trepidation that your decisions are gonna affect people, right? So we always say, You know, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. Hmm. Okay? So just swap out the word decisions for ideas yeah, and realize as a leader, you know, um, your bad decisions um, are going to have victims. Do you feel like this was something that early on
0: in your leadership journey— you you started to to see this or is this something that you learned over the years as just being a good follower you watched other leaders and you go hey you know what sometimes we're in rooms and somebody just needs to make a decision so when i get to be that person i'm going to make sure i do this so was this was this learned through observation or is this just something that was just in you or how did you learn some of these yeah
2: i mean i honestly don't know how to answer that yeah. so i guess it was just in me in yeah. the in the sense that i'm sitting in a room sometimes like does anybody else see that yeah. i mean does anybody else know that that's what should happen right here um, and and so whether it's just somebody's talking too much or the room is dead or uh, there's feedback going on over the mic or, I mean, <laughs> you know, the person needs to be groomed. I mean, literally, it could be whatever it might be. Yeah. I'm just like, surely somebody sees that. And I guess I am that kid uh, in the parable of uh, the emperor's new clothes, mm-hmm. which, which by the way, I, I'm amazed how many people don't know that story. Yeah. Really? Because I, I, you know, they know the emperor's new groove. And when I talk about this <laughs> with, with folks, seriously, 20, yeah, 30 no, years younger good, than me, yeah. you guys know what I'm talking about. I want to say the emperor doesn't have clothes on. Yeah, You know, one of the things that kids are just honest, Yeah, right? And, and they don't have the pretense and, I, you know, to use today's vernacular, they don't have political correctness. They just go, the dude's naked. And so don't tell me that he's got this amazing outfit on. He looks naked to me. And mom, yeah. you always told me I should cover up when I come out of the shower. Why isn't he covered up? You know, and, yeah. and so I, I'm 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 a little bit like that kid. Maybe I've never grown up, or uh, hopefully it's I've never lost not just the innocence of childhood, but the honesty of childhood. That's good. And so I learn all the time from watching people be afraid to say what is obviously um, something that needs to be said, or the relief I would experience and the joy I would experience when I saw people do the right thing.
1: That's good. That's good. Todd, leaders make decisions a lot of different ways. Some um, Adam's got a good framework, you know, where there's like consensus building leaders, people that uh, kind of don't move until everybody is, uh, is on board. And then, you know, you can kind of kind of move down to all the way to the command where it's kind of like, I don't really care what anybody thinks. I, I'm going to make the decision, and we're going to move. So how do you think about that, just the role of others, the other people that you trust? When do you listen? When do you go, you know, even if you guys don't think so, I think this is right, and we're going to do this. How do you think about that?
2: Well, I mean, uh, I I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm an external processor, a verbal processor, OK? And so one of the things I'm doing sometimes when I'm verbally processing is I'm reading the room. And I'm, I'm, I'm and and, and i in a sense, kind of polling without asking for a show of hands. yeah like, okay, I saw the I saw the way that I just read people all the time. And so when I'm verbally processing things, uh, especially around what I would say trusted people, not just folks that are eager to kind of act like whatever you say pleases them, right? But around other thoughtful people, I'm watching body language, I'm watching head nods, I'm watching, you know, eyes scrunch and um, concerned looks, uh, people who want to stay something that are waiting for the moment, and I stop and I, and I invite feedback. And so um, sometimes um, before I announce the decision, when I'm with people, just to expedite it so we don't just all take 10 minutes on the Senate floor, mm-hmm. okay, um, I'll, I'll start to go, hey, guys, let's talk about this. Here's some things that I'm seeing and I'm thinking, and I, I either kind of go, people, hey, that makes sense, or folks will begin to right away sharpen the decision. Um, just as an example, I think even when you go back to one of the— um, the things that you we've done here with with elders, yeah, I, don't, I I can't think in almost twenty years if we've ever taken taken a vote, hmm. okay, in, in an elder uh meeting, That's right? Interesting. Okay, like
1: if you have to ask your wife what she wants for Christmas, you've failed. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so yeah. Yeah.
2: the only time we've done something formally is when we were kind of legally required to have something in the minutes, right? But it's never really a vote. Just kind of like, hey, by unanimous consent, in that in that sense. We'll do this. But we always know where everybody kind of stands, okay? Um, So consensus building is important for execution, okay? Uh, And consensus building is important at least for you to know um, how others are, are going to respond to what you ultimately do. But if you want to lead by consensus, then you're not leading. Right? You're just a polling company.
0: Yeah, you're just managing. You're managing <laughs> yeah, you're, the process. Right, yeah. and
2: I think that's one of the problems. I say this all the time. The problem in America today is that we, we don't have uh, statesmen. We have politicians, right, who are trying to get reelected. Most people you know, use their power to maintain power, or they use their position to, to keep people happy so they can be back in this position where they're not really serving people, whereas statesmen do what's good for the state, Yeah, even if it makes people not like them. I, I think that's the job of a pastor and a shepherd. I mean, so Tom Landry, okay, one of my favorite... Tom Landry quotes. He was the old coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Which again, we have some twenty-something. Yeah, we listen. If to they, don't the Clothes, they, well, don't they don't know the Emperor's New Clothes, they don't. Yeah. They definitely don't know Tom Landry. Yeah. but but he he used to always say it's the job of a coach to get people to do what they don't want to do, so they can be what they want to be. Yeah, that's good. And and I think sometimes leaders got to make decisions that people don't want them to make, so they can experience what they want to experience. But it's a terrible thing. It's a humbling thing. And and I don't want to be a dictator, but I also. Um, I'm not afraid to use the responsibility of leadership to sometimes dictate what we're going to do. And you're going to lose, right? I mean, uh, your decisions are either going to build or erode trust. Yeah. Right? So um, the the fastest way to um, build trust with somebody is competency, and the and, and I will just say this about your decisions. You need to make sure your decisions are informed by character and they're not self-serving, that's right. Because the fastest way to erode trust, okay um, is with a, a a character problem. Yeah. I think that's really helpful because we talk about
0: servant leadership and that leaders are here to serve those that you're uh, responsible for shepherding. And that sometimes, what I'm hearing you say, Todd, sometimes one of the most important ways that we serve our people is by making a hard decision to get the organization or the small group or even just the friends unstuck to keep moving forward. And so a leader taking initiative going... This is not an easy decision. This may make some people upset, but I'll make the decision. I'll serve the group this way, not because I want to, right. but because I'm willing and I and I want to do this, and or I, or I'm uh, I'm willing to serve in
1: this way. Yep,
2: absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know anything to do but nod my head in agreement with that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Todd, do you feel like you've gotten better at decision making as you've practiced and <laughs> through the years? Please uh, say yes. Uh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> going to
2: say, ask my wife. Uh, ask you know you guys. I I listen. Um,
1: have I gotten better, or I, or the uh, the process? What have you learned? As you like, I, here's my assumption. Um, I'll, I'll lead the witness. Uh, I assume that leaders get better at making decisions by making decisions, yeah. and um, the you know later on in a leader's kind of journey, he has a whole lot of. Um, data in which to draw from. I've, I've seen this before. Mm-hmm. I've made this before. I know how this this turns out. I'm good at this part of decision-making, those type of things. Okay. Any, any thoughts?
2: Yeah, great. Uh, so this this is a good segue for me to stick in here, something I think I should make sure and say, because it makes me think of my friend, John Cox. He used yeah. to be on our team. Uh, and John is um, one of the better decision-makers I know in life. And I can remember when he left a extremely, uh, profitable career. Let me just say that. Yeah, <laughs> The kind of careers that guys, quote unquote, make their number on. And um, and when he left this very large billion dollar plus, multi-billion dollar plus hedge fund to come to work here, one of the reasons he came, and this, this fits in here because I want people to understand why it's important that leaders are A, unafraid to make decisions and they make good decisions. You know, he, he said the reason that he came here and he went to his partners and he said to them, um, look, I'm gonna go and they were kind of couldn't believe it that he was going to take I mean I don't even want to say a, a, the size of the pay cut right okay because it it's just it's absurd really um, it was uh, he said because the leadership at watermark he said is, is is more authentic, which it takes some courage to say that to guys right yeah. uh, that they're they have an all in they're sold out they believe in their purpose and their mission and he said they have great leaders that make fast good decisions and then ultimately about eternal things. And he said, but look, I didn't have to put on that I was going to work for eternal things. But he said, all those other things are really important. And what yeah. he was saying is sometimes we get kind of in process gridlock. And some people might say, well, it's because we're moving millions of dollars and shifting markets. Um, but but he would say, no, there's there's more at play here. I think sometimes we're afraid to make decisions because we want to act like we have all the answers every single time. And not just in terms of markets and investments but maybe even the way we make decisions about how we operate our yeah. our internal company. So I would say good decisions are what enable you to attract good people. Hmm. Okay? And um and the reason I thought of John in that context and I want to insert that story in there because in decision making you just need to realize that is how you build team. Yeah. No one wants to be on a team uh Absolutely. With, with a guy who, you know, onside kicks when they when they're up by 3. Yeah. Okay, with two minutes left in the game. Like, why'd you just do that? Kick it deep. I mean, that was a terrible decision. So, um, you know, John was a guy that used to work before he did that that stuff in that particular hedge fund, worked for Boston Consulting Group. And one of the things that I would say veteran consultants do, okay, consulting is just by and large pattern recognition. Yeah. So we're now answering the question, have you gotten better at making decisions? And what I would say is I've lived a little longer. Yep. Okay, and so- I recognize patterns, okay? But now you have to really, really be careful. And I'll use a biblical example here because you, you can start to trust too much in your pattern recognition and in our business of shepherding lives and, and leading spiritually, um, pattern recognition is not always the most reliable way to go about things. And so the classic example of this, in my opinion, is in Joshua, chapter six, okay, when they go and they take the land, and God said, I want you to go. This is the way we're going to take down Jericho, and they went, and they took down Jericho. It's a massive victory, Uh, and everybody was like, wow. I mean, hey, it looks like God's in this, except they didn't really think that way. They thought, it looks like we're bad to the bone, and we're we're going to take care of everything that we need to take care of from here on out, and then God's people with this massive victory in Joshua 6, they go from being 1-0 and undefeated champs of the world to <laughs> Joshua 7 where they're all of a sudden a 500 team. Yeah, And, um, you know, I-E is how probably you're supposed to pronounce it, but I or however you want to say it. But uh, this little land that they're about to go into next, when it comes to go take them, it says in verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to I-E, which is near Beth-haven, east of Bethel, and said, go up, spy out the land. And so the men went up, they spied it out, and they returned and said, hey, we don't need to all go up there. It's just, you know, we just beat whatever you want to insert right here, the Warriors, which that'll be completely, you know, if people listen to this 10 years from now, the Warriors are now devastated because everybody's <laughs> left. But right now, Golden State, right? Yeah. They, just, they just beat the champs. And they're like, man, so why, you know, the guys came back and said, we don't need to go up to IE. Just send about two or 3,000, man. We don't need to all go up. Don't make all the people toil up there for just a few. So from a pattern recognition standpoint, like Walls, Fortified City, Jericho, mm-hmm. Okay. We've seen this. We need to be depending on the Lord. Yeah. Right. And 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 uh but now God did it. We marched in, we devastated him. I oh man, let's go. We can take care of that. No prayer, no thought, no consideration, too much quote unquote pattern recognition, and it devastated them. So I want to just say this as a leader. Just be really, really careful when you're not just making a decision about uh, hey, I've done this before. I mean, I, I say again, all that I've learned, I say again and again, when you take all that I've learned over 20 years of you know growing watermark from just a group of us sitting around a table to this incredible privilege that we're sitting in right now having learned all the pattern recognition i have and all the experience that i've had even all the credibility that i've built i could not get us back here again there's just no way i could produce this again Mm. because i'm not the one that that built this or if you will knock down the walls of this jericho uh God is. And so there's got to be, even when you know what you're doing and have seen this before, you better make decisions with humility and especially in a spiritual sense with great dependence upon the God, because he's the one yeah. that makes decisions work. Okay. Uh, we're not talking here about, should I uh, violate God's word or not? That That's a decision that, that obviously of, you, no brain you don't need okay. to pray about, yeah. right? There's yeah. pattern recognition there. <laughs> Fearing the Lord's going to turn out well. But just just because you've done something before, seen it before, you still need to stop and think, hey, Lord, do you want me to do this again? Yeah. In fact, one of my biggest fears is that, um, is that I would sometimes do things that I think are going to turn out in a way that everybody else would go, that was a really good decision, but I'll know that it was a good decision because I willed it and not because God wanted it. Mm. You know, I just used my, my flesh to pull it off. Right? So... Uh, the Bible and, and and just the way things are going to turn out, you know, sometimes I think there's things on earth that we think are good decisions that on the other side, we may find out weren't such good decisions. Which leads us to, I, I think, obviously what I think a lot of leaders
0: are going to be thinking of now of going, okay, so pattern recognition, we got to serve by making hard decisions. Uh, we can't bat a thousand. In fact, we even talked about this recently at our staff retreat when all the men got together and we talked about what, what you called the horror of leadership, that sometimes you don't have all the information. Sometimes you don't know. It's not clear exactly what to do, uh, and you got to make a decision anyway to serve. And then you look back, maybe it's a day later, maybe it's an hour later, maybe it's a week, month, long time later, and you realize that was the wrong decision. Yeah. Uh, and so talk a little bit about how do you handle those situations and what counsel would you give to leaders that maybe find themselves after a decision and they're sitting there regretting it going, I wish if I could go back and do that one again, I would have made another choice.
2: Well, here's one of the things I would do. I would, first of all, own it as publicly as the decision was made. That's good. Okay. Because one of the ways to rebuild trust is just go, Hey, I'm going to tell you again, why I did this. This is what we knew. This is what we thought. This is what we understood. Here was the intelligence that we had. Um, and I think had I had that as my perception or or the reality again, we'd probably try that. It just didn't turn out that way. Yeah. Or you might go, hey, new information's come to light, or hey, we did the best we could with what we had, but let's just acknowledge this, right? Uh that recipe um did not produce the meal that we wanted to serve. Yeah. And when you say public, I wanna there's somebody <laughs> that's gonna just skip over that.
0: You mean you know, let's just use the church context, obviously. That could be sometimes on a on a weekend service, yeah. you're standing up in front of the entire congregation. Sometimes it's just in front of the staff. Sometimes it may just be in front of your family, but sure. as public I, as it needs to I, be. I,
2: I agree. I think Spurgeon says this just in terms of character reputation, which again, leader's decisions is what he builds his reputation with. Yeah. Your reputation is what's going to make people want to follow you or not. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, shepherds are responsible for how they lead, but sheep in this sense are responsible for who they follow. Right. So, you know, I think everybody knows you're not gonna be perfect, but if you act like I mean my, my I mean, let me say this in terms of my family, and just mar- maritally speaking. Yeah, you know, my wife, when she would confront me with stuff, especially early in our marriage, not that she doesn't today, I respond differently. But early on, when I was, you know, married, I, I was like, look, this woman just agreed to share, you know, life with me and in this, you know, to be subject to me in honor as um, as as she as I faithfully sought the Lord. And so if I made a mistake, or let's just say I acted poorly, and she would confront that, I would usually spend a lot of time early on trying to convince her that what she knew was true, she wasn't really seeing, and that her perspective was wrong, that it really wasn't a bad decision, or I didn't act poorly right there, to where because I was convinced that if I agreed with her observation that I made a bad decision or acted poorly, she would go, I'm out of here. I'm mm. leaving you because I'm not yeah. going to be with, you know, of course my wife wasn't going to leave me, but let's just take it back to the engagement period. Yeah. Okay. Wh- wherever it is. I think sometimes this is why guys don't ask for directions because we think that sometimes if I, if, if this woman says, we, you know, ask that guy how to get there, if he somehow magically knows how to get to where we're going, she's going to go, what am I doing in the car with this guy? Right. You know, <laughs> she's going to get out of the car and just get in that guy's bike and they're going to ride off together. <laughs> and so I can't act like that guy knows how to make better decisions, how to get someplace than I do. Right. right? It's just, which is crazy which is what my wife used to always say to me. She's like, look, I can handle your bad decisions. I just can't handle your crazy. That's great. You know, I mean, just acknowledge that you were wrong because I can deal with an imperfect human, but I should not follow somebody who won't call wrong wrong. And, And that was where you know, early on in our marriage, one of the things that we just, I quickly figured out was, oh, this woman loves me. And so she just wants me to make good decisions and act well. And so when I don't, she's not explaining to me, you know, she's not building a case to give to a divorce attorney. Right. Right. She's just trying to say, hey, let's do this well together. And I'm here to help you. And part of my job in helping you is when you act poorly or don't make great decisions, I get to point that out and yeah. you get to be humble. Yeah. So, I, I would often just go, hey, babe, it looks like, just let me just go back before you even say something. One of the greatest things you can do, right, is before she even has to tell you, hey, let me just slow down here. Hey, will you forgive me? That was a mistake. The choice I made in a small way to act that way, that was a bad decision. Yeah. And it was broken, and will you forgive me? And so my repentance in that case was as notorious as my sin. And I would just say, if you make a bad decision that everybody sees— and it was because you did your best and failed, or because you were hasty, or because you were selfish, or because new information came. One of the ways to rebuild trust is not to try and convince everybody your terrible decision was a good decision, but to go, "Hey guys, I need to, I need to own this 100 percent." Right? Um, I I haven't read the whole book. I know the premise. There's a couple of Navy SEALs who wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. Yeah, and that is the entire book, to my understanding. Yeah. Right which is you, you own 100% uh, of the failure when you're in the position of leadership, yeah. okay? You, you share your successes, you own the failures. And, and it's so counterintuitive,
0: as you're saying, because that's what, I mean, just we, we've all been followers before and just how endearing that is to a leader, how much more we want to follow them when they're not trying to spend doctorate, they're being honest, they're admitting when they made a mistake and we're just sitting there going, okay, I can trust this person, I'm going to follow them. And, and you just, you give them grace, because that's the grace that that you're going to want one day when you're a leader, uh,
2: when you when you make some bad choices. That's right. So Adam, I, I heard you know I heard uh, I think you might have said it. We were talking about some other topic, and um, the the idea is, hey, when when you're in the middle of a decision that's successful, and I don't think we were talking about decision making, but it applied. But when when you're in the middle of success, look through a window, and when you're in the middle of failure, look into a mirror. Yeah. And and so, you know, I think what I would I would encourage young leaders to do is you build trust by by owning, taking responsibility, own 100% of your 2%, mm-hmm. okay? And when there's a problem, look in a mirror. When there's successes, look through a window, see who helped make success, make that a success, right? Um, and And every time you do see somebody do that, share that success, it does make you go, I'll follow that guy.
0: Hey, we'll get back to the interview with Todd here in just a second, but John and I wanted to take a moment to let you church leaders know about our church leadership conference that's happening in April, April 2nd through 4th, 2019 here at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas.
1: Yeah, so it's a conference for anyone on church staff or parachurch church ministry and even lay volunteers. Basically anyone that feels the weight of leadership responsibility within the local church.
0: These three days are meant to inspire you with all that God wants to do through his church and equip you to be a better leader wherever God has placed you on a mission. So no matter your position, if you're a senior pastor or you're on the student's team, if you're over assimilation to operations, our goal is to help develop you into a more effective leader.
1: Yeah, and plus it's just a lot of fun. So at CLC, we try to model a lot of the staff culture that we talk about here on this podcast. And that typically includes Uh, Some pretty epic uh, moments uh, for you, for your team, kind of for the whole conference and the food. It's the best conference food ever.
0: Ever. So tickets are going fast. You can learn more at churchleadersconference.com.
1: Most difficult decision that you've ever made. (laughs) This was Adam's question walking in.
2: Gosh, uh, I think, well, the hardest decisions I've ever made have always been decisions to um, deny my flesh or to humble myself. I mean, it kind of relates right back to, I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm no example is rushing to my mind, Yeah. but there are examples, um, that first of all are going to do one of two things. It goes contrary to everything that I love, which always is me. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, decisions that are going to cause me to not have some, um, Benefit or perceived success that may not be the right decisions. I, I mean, one of the things I tell people all the time is, is I mean, it's a little phrase I've used for years, which is there's nobody quite so creative as a person in the midst of self justification. Yes. Right? right? I mean, I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm brilliant when it comes to explaining you why I had to do what I just did <laughs> when all I really wanted to do is just do what I wanted to do. Yes. Okay. And so it's always hard to die to self. I mean, dying is just not easy. It'd be, you know, just in terms of um, the decision to follow Christ. You know, I, I kind of fantasize about that story that we always use, like, what would you do if somebody walked in the room and said, okay, if you're a Christ follower, we're going to put a bullet in your head, right? I mean, I'm like, really? And send me to glory, right? That, that That's awesome, okay? Um, yeah, I, I'll make a decision one time yeah. to die now because I'm going to believe in this moment that Jesus is who he says he is. But the decision I've got to make to live every day like he's king and to continually die, that's really difficult, right? And I'm not mocking people that have died and burned at the stake. You know, I mean, the suffering and the torture, right? I'm talking about the one-time quick, head off, it's over and you're home. Um, But I mean, taking uh, any decision that requires self-mortification has always been hard for me. Okay. And then I'll tell you this. And then the other side of that is decisions that you know are the right thing, but they're going to hurt people you love and it's not what they want you to do are always hard decisions. Uh, And some of those, I think the biggest failure I see uh, with leaders is they, they fail to make good decisions related to hiring and specifically dealing with poor hires because they love somebody and they don't want to uh, hurt them. And and so when you've got to make a decision that you know is going to disrupt an individual or their family, yeah. um, you, you can go, this is a really hard decision. So let's take those two. Which one is more difficult in your experience, yeah. the hiring or the the firing? Just to well, I, I think specifically the, the firing. Yeah. Right, I, I always tell people. You know, we we talk here. This is maybe another episode when we talk about nepotism and things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I always tell folks, I don't really care who you hire, but you just better be able to fire them. You know, if you can't manage them, yeah, then don't hire them. Yeah, and part of managing is sometimes saying, I believe God's got a a, a glorious purpose for you, and. It doesn't seem to be that this is it. Yeah. And if you can't really go and, and and shepherd people through that, if you're just gonna then come to me and say, we just need some more help over here, what you're doing is hiring around your your cowardice to make a true decision, yeah. that's terrible leadership. Okay. And so um in, in that, in that ability, I mean, in in that terrible privilege of making a decision to sharpen an organization, those are really hard. But even if you're not getting rid of somebody, just making a decision. Where you're taking from somebody something they want. Yeah. Okay. Uh I, I I can remember I made a hard decision here, um, you know, with with just my friend Blake Holmes. Yep. Okay. Where where Blake kind of was the guy that often would teach when I wouldn't. And and I, I do believe Blake is the best teacher at Watermark. Okay. Um, but by teacher I mean uh the ability to uh effectively communicate truth. In a way that people can um, can learn and and hold and grasp and frankly reproduce. Yep. Okay, I've always said that. My 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 dream would Blake give me the outline. Let me let me teach it. Okay, or lead off of it. But you know, make me make the outline. Okay, and not so good. But I remember going to Blake and saying, Blake, you know, um, I, I don't believe that what's best for the body and frankly for you is to be the kind of guy that's going to grow into not just four weeks but fourteen weeks and twenty weeks. Uh, of leading the body in this way, I think there's something else you could do. There's this thing called the residency. I want to start that. I yep. believe is that you would be the most amazing guy at it. Um, but it was still hard. And this was a young man that I've known since sixth grade. Yes, that I personally discipled. That I I, I was I, I watched him prosper apart from me when he got to college. I had the privilege of marrying he and his wife. Um, I helped him encourage him to take his first job in Nacogdoches and lead this church where he became the pastor. And and then. Uh, Asked him to come to Dallas yeah. and join our team. And then he got this opportunity. And then there was others here that after a while, I thought, you know what? This is going to be a tough decision. It's not going to bless this young man that I love, but it's the right decision because it's what's going to be better for everybody. Those are really hard decisions. Which, you know, is exactly what you just said If you go
0: back and rewind what, four or five minutes ago, that if you hire somebody and you you said nepotism. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a family member right. or somebody that is close like a family member, right. when you're hiring somebody, you've got to run these scenarios. Like that's a great example you just gave somebody. That the the hire that a leader right now is thinking about, run through in five years and think of like a really difficult decision like that mm-hmm. and go, This is a really great friend or somebody that I've known since college or known since high school. Could I have that conversation with them? If not, well, then maybe maybe you need to make a different hiring decision. That's right. you
2: got to be willing to do Because that. nepotism laws exist because we make laws because people don't make good decisions, right. especially when family and friends are involved. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather, I'd rather talk about that but then, you know, um, I, but I, I think what I would say is you're going to lose the right to hire somebody close to you if you fail to make good decisions with them. And then what you got to do is put nepotism laws in place because you have a leader who isn't making great decisions, yeah. right? But I would rather deal with a leader who doesn't make great decisions and not, and, and miss out the privilege and benefit of some of the people that have been closest to them for a long time and and not having them. I mean, like I said, I mean, you guys, for instance, when your kids are old enough to be hired here at Watermark. They grew up here. They know the culture. They understand. They've seen the benefit. Why would we not want those kids to work here? Right. Okay. There's only one reason: because you won't make good decisions in the way that you would lead them, or somebody else because they respect and love you so much, whose team they're on, won't help them be everything they should be. I'd rather deal with those leaders and lose your kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and you know, but if you know, it, it's also true that if we're going to hire your kids and let them play shortstop just because they're your kids, then we also have a problem. Yeah. Okay, but if they're the right people, let's not let's not lose that. We we just discipled them for 18 years. Why wouldn't we bring them on the team? (laughs) So good. But let's just make sure they can play shortstop.
1: Yeah, Yeah, so good. Let's talk about the kind of the role of the spirit. I'd be curious how that works for you. So, um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day that. Adam and I were talking and I said, you know, Christians should be, make the best decisions. We've got a competitive advantage. If yeah. the uh, mm-hmm. if the goal is to dunk a basketball, if I'm 7-6, I've just got a decided advantage of much more so than the guy that's 5-7. Uh, non-believers don't have the spirit. We do. We lack wisdom, we can we can ask for it. So how how does that play in for you as a just as a believer, as a Christ follower, leader? Uh, when you make decisions, and uh, what does the role of the spirit look like through that?
2: Well, I love the, the statement that God's always going to be more anxious to show you His will than you will be able to seek it. Right? We we um, we. It's not like God's some mysterious um, entity out there, or truth is hard. For us necessarily to find, we have to go find some Sherpa and get a yak and wind up the right mountain to go into the right cave. <laughs> but that would be so To fun. meet some <laughs> Swami that will tell us. I mean, I mean, God is begging us to pay attention, okay? But there are lots of decisions that it comes down to, um, you know, there's not a, a a jot and tittle that tells you do this. Yeah don't do that yeah. but you ought to make sure you know because when people always talk about God's will like How do i don't know God's will what does he want me to do and and i usually tell them i said listen i would just make sure that you're doing everything you know is god's revealed will for you because there's a lot in scripture that says this is my will for you so there's twice it says that in the new testament one's john 13 that you serve others and first peter 2 it says christ did this as an example for you um, that you suffer, okay, um, for others as well, so you're a suffering servant, mm-hmm. uh, that you give thanks for all things in first. deaths. So there's a few places that yeah. specifically says mm-hmm. this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But um, I think uh, I would just go, what are the things I know God wants me to do? And after I'm doing those things, I would just say, look, um, you know, some of them, You don't need to, you can't wait until God tells you, like, I mean, marriage is a classic example. Guys go, does God want me to marry this girl or not? And I go, well, God wants you to marry this kind of girl, but he's not going to let you pin this decision on him because he's already told you, whoever you marry, it's going to be difficult. Such will have trouble. And so what I don't want you to do is, well, God, I shouldn't have married this girl because humans are notoriously predictable, right? Let's just say (laughs) you, you marry a girl who all people said rightly, do you love her? But five years from now, you know, Something crazy happens. Yeah. You can't say, well, God, you made me do this and blah, 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 it's your fault. I would just say, do the right thing based on all the information you have, following all the revealed will of God you can, seeking his face. And then you just go forward and this world's going to have trouble. And you might have been married to somebody who uh, you didn't convince yourself you should have. Everybody thought, yeah, that really is a genuinely good decision. And something crazy happens. So uh, I, I, I guess... You know, John. An answer to your question is, yeah. Let's avail ourselves to every spiritual resource we have. Um, but at the end of the day, sometimes God is going to say to you, "But you get to make this decision." Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. And and so, but what I would not do is make the decision and then ask God to bless it on the backside After,
0: so, afterwards. And John, when you've talked about this before, and when, when you and I were even preparing for this episode, I, I like what you say. When as a leader you're facing these decisions, and you've just got. Something in you that check, and you, you looking back on your own decisions that you've made in the past, you've said
1: that, if yeah, anytime you know, I violated that, I have regretted it, yeah, and anytime, and uh, and I, you know, it's interesting what, what comes to mind is the times I didn't violate it for whatever reason, and I've just been so glad, yeah, and in the ways that I can't really explain, and so uh, I agree with everything Todd said. Now, generally, it's pretty clear i mean the revealed will of god is um is crystal clear and you can just you know operate inside of that but some there has been some times where i've just felt a check and i've not moved and some information came in you know, days, weeks, months later, and I just thought, oh gosh, I am so glad I didn't yeah. push through that. And uh, and so I don't, it, it doesn't have. I probably like you, Todd. It doesn't happen very often, candidly, where I just yeah. feel like I've just something's unsettled. It's generally that's just something observable that uh, unsettles me. But every once in a while, every once in a while, I just get this. You know, we'd call it our spidey sense. Yeah, I think I think it's the spirit of God, and I'm just trying to listen to that doesn't happen often, but uh, I've learned, and I hope I don't ever violate that in decision-making. That's really
0: good. All right, Todd, we got time for one more question, if I can just throw one more at you. One of the other things that I I do admire about this place, and both of you, I've seen both of you guys do this, it all relates to timing. And uh, sometimes when a leader is faced with a decision, somebody comes to them, and it sounds like we have to make a decision right now on this. And and I, I have learned from observing you guys that you guys have this sense that uh, nobody's going to force me to make a decision earlier than I have to. And you don't say it with that tone, but yeah. there is that, uh, I, I just, how do you think about it? How do you respond to somebody that comes to you and it's just like, Todd, 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 right now, right now, tell yeah. me exactly what you do you want to do?
2: How do you handle that situation? Well, it, it's Proverbs nineteen two. Okay, be, as they would say, as you refer to it, right? He who makes haste with his feet errs. Yeah. And so uh, the first part of that, it says, it's not good for a man to be without knowledge. And so you just got to go, wait a minute, I wanna, do I have all the knowledge I need to make a good decision? And so I, I might get lucky because I got just a split second to make a decision, but it just says it's not good mm. to be without knowledge. And he who makes haste with his feet er, errs. And then verse three says this, the foolishness of man subverts his way. And then his heart rages against the Lord, and sometimes like, well, Lord, I, I don't know. You gave me that opportunity, and I try to make a, you know, I don't want to miss out on the blessing. And he's like, well, look at when you act without knowledge, you're inviting non-blessing into your life. And so I don't want to say you never make a fast decision. I would just say you never make a stupid, uninformed decision. <laughs> or you try not to. You try not to, <laughs> right? Not and and yeah. so.
0: Um, but a lot of times, those bad decisions happen as a result of because trying to make it too
2: fast. Pressure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, listen, it's just, everybody knows that. It's a sales technique. Yeah. Right? Hey, if you get this today, that's you buy true. this right now, I'll tell you what, we'll do this today. Tomorrow. tomorrow, I can't do that. Yep. And I'm just like, well, that's OK. Then I'll just have to deal with what tomorrow holds. Yeah. OK. I've got to be wise today and not be anxious about tomorrow not giving me this opportunity because the opportunity I don't want to miss is to be informed by wisdom. Yeah. That's the most expensive thing. And so I'm not going to take your sale to forfeit what the most valuable thing is. And so don't, yeah, I think timing, um, now look, again, some guys know, and and I I do, I have, uh, and I think great leaders do, have a bias towards action and towards making decisions, okay? But I agree with you, John, if I don't have a sense that this is going to be a good decision then, or or that, that there's something in my gut just saying, hey, slow down on this one a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that if I went back and stacked up in my life, I said I would I would be happier with what I missed out on because I was too slow than, uh, than I've been disappointed by acting quickly so I didn't miss. that. That's exactly,
0: that's what I was wondering. I was gonna ask you that next. Do you think if you look back, have you, uh, when you wait an extra day, maybe an extra week, it usually turns out okay. Like there's some more facts that come out and you're like, ah, okay, that was interesting. Look, had we made that decision on Thursday, and not on Tuesday, this new information might not have presented itself, and it it usually works out better. Is, it is
2: usually does, but I but and, but I will just tell you, it is awful to know. I mean that you're there's there's always a time when you're like, hey, we just can't, we shouldn't wait any longer. We've waited long enough, and yeah. we realize now we're hiding behind the fact that we might have more information to not make a decision, and you're you're causing. Uh, more more problems than more information could potentially bless you with. And so it's, it's, it's decision-making is an art. It's not a <laughs> science. it is. It's, it's, so we're right back where we started. Yes. Dude. Leaders exist because <laughs> problems exist. And this is the horror of leadership. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. There's good artists and there's bad artists. Yeah. And listen, the truth is, is every now and then, okay, I mean, very rarely, very rarely uh, are your decisions made with a Sharpie. And what I mean by that is the ink's not always as permanent as we think, mm. Right. And so you can paint back over the canvas. and you just got to not be afraid to do it. But, but I, I would tell you, have a bias towards decisions, have a bias not towards haste, have a bias towards seeking a multitude of counselors. We should, we'd be crazy if we didn't say this in this episode. You know, So many people seek counsel for decisions, but they do it by isolating person and go, John, I want to meet with you. And what do you think about this? And then I leave you and I go and I say, Adam, yep. I want to meet with you. What do you think I should do with this? And I maybe nuance it differently. I read you differently. I tell you different things because I know what I want you both to say. And I might even say, well, John said that. And you go, really? He said yeah. that? But I've presented a different set of facts. So when it says in scriptures that you wage war with um, wise guidance and in a multitude of counselors there is victory, that doesn't mean you seek the advice of 10 different people, 10 different lunches. It means you get those 10 together. That's good. And you sit down and... um and you go, guys, I want everybody here to have all the facts together. I want all the different strengths in this room and all the different counsel that you guys can do to sharpen each other. Uh, if you're a good king, you'll never say, well, my problem is my cabinet was awful. That's why I made a bad decision. You'll look through the window if the cabinet gave you good counsel, and you'll look in the, the mirror if it didn't. And you don't you don't fire or, or throw the counsel on the bus. You might get new counselors eventually. But you own it. But you, if you're going to seek counsel, seek counsel collectively, so not in isolation.
1: Yeah, which, is great, which works great just to the check in your own, uh, you know, potential sin nature just to spin or, um, you know, get what you want, be the selfish part of it. It also works really well. I feel like decisions get made uh, or decisions get better exponentially quicker when everybody's in the room. I've seen this, like— You know, someone has a different perspective, which pings something in someone else's head and heart. And that now, now I walked in with a, you know, what I thought was going to be a good decision. I walked out with a great one Mm -hmm. because people in real time have made it. Iron sharp is iron. Yeah. 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 It becomes like this one plus one equals three uh, kind of thing when everybody's collectively together.
2: So, a couple of things I just, I I would make sure are here. So, I hope, I hope that folks are still hanging with us. But I would just say, um, you know, Silicon Valley has, um, as a little phrase, I think that they've used for a long time about somehow they think about how decisions go, and and I would expand it a little bit. I'm sure I'm not the first person who said it this way. I forget exactly how Silicon Valley says that they have, they have two things, um, but I, I always like to say, you know, um, you know, dream big, uh, start small, and fail fast. Okay, and I think with with, I say Silicon Valley, because all these startups, there was just two things that that I can maybe go back and look and find before this episode is over. But what I want to say to people is, and I really appreciated my buddy John Cox when we were making decisions together, is he would say, hey, let's just do that once. Let's just not announce that we're making a decision to do this for the next 10 years. Let's just go, hey, you know, we'd start small. And if it didn't work, we'd fail right away and we'd redirect and we'd yeah. start over. People can handle that, right? Yeah. I mean, in other words, like let's just say there's a new meatloaf recipe. I don't say I'm buying enough supplies to feed you this meatloaf recipe. I don't know why I've been using meatloaf a lot it's, lately. It's been a lot. It, uh, Alex, <laughs> not, Alex another, you know what another Alex? episode <laughs> for another day. But 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 like I'm not gonna buy all the ingredients to make this same exact meatloaf for the next 10 years in our family. I might be here's a new recipe, let's try it once and let's fail fast. Or let's go, this is amazing. Right. Let's do it again. Yeah. And so, as leaders, really give yourself a chance to um, to just test some things, and 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 to start small with what you're doing. Now, sometimes you don't have that. You sometimes just got to stand up and say, "This is where we're going," right? But uh, or this is what we're going to do. And uh, but if you have an opportunity in leading an organization. You might just say, hey, guys, we're going to give this a shot. And then we're going to see how that works out. But I need you guys to be all in on this and not hedge our bets on our shot. And then we're going to evaluate that shot. And then we're going to say, should we do it again? Or how should we tweak it before we go a little bit further? Todd, this is why we love having you in the podcast studio. Great conversation today. <laughs> thank you that. so much. Uh, well, thank you. I, listen, I, I mean, some of these, I, I, hope, I hope it's worth the whole 45 minutes. That's all I would say.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. I think so. We have nothing else for us.
2: <laughs> it was awesome us for us. Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: John, that was such a fun interview. It, I, I really do. I mean, and we said at the end of the, at the, end of the interview, I love having him in here because you never know where it's going to go, but it's always so interesting. So he's one of our favorite guests to have. What what uh, hit you and what he was saying about uh, decision-making?
1: Yeah, well, a lot. I mean- you know, we we sit uh, downstream of a lot of his decisions, and I, you know, one of the things is I know the the blessing of sitting under leaders who make great decisions. So uh, that'd be hard to articulate uh, for the audience. But I thought one that just kind of uh, caught me off guard was when we asked him about um, pattern recognition and yeah. decision making. And so what I assumed he was going to say uh, was, you know, I've learned patterns, and this is how I factor that. And instead, he gave a warning. Yeah, um, and uh, which I thought was. Uh, it was really spot on. And so I, just in my own leadership, uh, I'm going to be thinking about when I – uh, make decisions quickly because I've seen this kind of thing before. Just to slow down and say, God, God are you in this? Uh, what would you have me do uh, before I just start making snap decisions?
0: All right. Well, if you're checking us out on iTunes and you have found this episode to be helpful and you wouldn't mind leaving a review, that would be awesome. If you have any questions or comments on today's episode or topics you would like for us to consider in future episodes, please feel free to contact us via email. We can be reached at clp at Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you again next time.